Open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John, chapter 3, verse 8. I, I promised I would do two Sundays on healing after coordinating with the healing conference that happened last weekend. And so I just have been trying to look at healing in a different way, and coming at it from different angles, and trying to understand something differently. So um, I'm going to do that this morning something I ran across that was interesting to me, and I think it'll be interesting to you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works. This is really a mission statement for Jesus here. This is a mission statement for him coming to earth. It just happens to be couched in this context about sin. And I think all that John is saying here is that um, someone who is born again has had the power of sin confronted and hopefully broken in their life. I said to the early crowd, and I'm going to say it to you guys, if, if you haven't, you need to be sanctified. You need to pray that God sanctify you and break the power and dominion of sin off your life. You say, well, no, we have to sin a little bit every day. No, you don't. You don't. You don't have to. Somebody's maybe told you that, and it's a lie. It doesn't mean that we've achieved sinless perfection, but and it doesn't mean we can't sin. It doesn't mean that we don't have the potential to sin. It just means now for the Christian that habitual pattern has been broken. Because he talks about it in verse 4 that the spirit of lawlessness, he mentions that in this chapter in verse 4, the spirit of lawlessness has been broken now over the believer. Oh, hallelujah. And then he says, for this reason Jesus came to earth to break the power of this stuff. He came that he might destroy the works of the devil. He came to break the dominion of sin and to, sh and to wreck Satan's kingdom. So there was a, there's a professor named Greg Boyd who uh, I, I read his books. I read a book by him maybe 30 years ago that really helped me. But I've had a book of his on my shelf for years and never read it. And it was, I think it was his doctoral dissertation. Anyhow, it's called God at War. And I just ran across it recently in a, in a book on healing, and I thought, I'm going to go look at this. And I looked at what his thesis was, and it really, it really enlightened me, so I'm going to share it with you this morning. And here's his basic, basic thesis. That in the first 800 to 1,000 years of church history, the church had what he calls a warfare worldview. The church had a warfare worldview meaning that they understood the dynamic spiritually of what was going on in the world. Satan came and took authority in an illegal way, but he took authority in the earth realm. God has come to do battle with him. And ever since the beginning, he's been doing battle, calling men and women, creating covenant, entering into relationship with people, eventually coming to the apex to where he sends his son to earth to destroy the works of the enemy. 
So God has been working and God has been in warfare against the enemy for all these years. Okay. After 1,000-ish, it seemed like the church moved to what Greg Boyd would call a blueprint worldview. And that is the way the church has explained evil in the world now is, well, God has a great big blueprint. And God is sovereign over everything, so everything that happens is just ultimately in the will of God. So people starving, somebody wrecked with pain, all the evil, we just have to chalk it up to God had a plan, and it's in his great big blueprint. And Greg Boyd's argument is that's not a biblical mindset. The biblical mindset is we're in war. And the reason for evil in the world is because Satan is in the world fighting against people and against the church. Let me, let me back this up with some scripture. Y'all hang on with me this morning, okay? Uh, I know you lack an hour of sleep, but you can make it up this afternoon. Okay? So y'all hang on with me. John chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. John 14.30 I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. John 16.11 And when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now I read these three passages because Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler. And the, the, the Greek word here used is archon, which was used for the highest official in any Greek city. So he recognized that Satan had, had an authority in the earth. He was the ruler. Even in the temptation in the wilderness, when Satan, in Luke chapter 4, when Satan took Jesus up on a high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. I've often wondered when I read that, did Satan really have those kingdoms to give him? But Jesus doesn't refute the claim that Satan has the authority to give these kingdoms to him. Jesus just rebukes the temptation and Satan for tempting him with it. So he doesn't deny it. He just comes against the temptation and he wins in the temptation battle. So it, it seems that Jesus didn't dispute the claim of, of Satan on the earth as the archon or the ruler of the, of the earth realm. Y'all, y'all tracking with me? Say amen. Mark 3, verse 24. So the scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus casting out demons, and they said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, He casts out demons. So Jesus called to Himself, called them to himself and talked to them in parables. And he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. So Jesus was acknowledging that his job was to come into the house, bind the strong man, kick him out of the house, and then take possession of it. Hallelujah. So Jesus came to take possession of the earth realm, so to speak, and to cast down the archon or ruler of this present age, which was Satan and all of his kingdom. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all those oppressed of the devil. Healing all of those oppressed of the devil. Luke chapter 13. Let me just build a little more background here. He was teaching in a synagogue on a Sabbath day. Jesus was, and there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over and couldn't raise herself up. When Jesus saw her, he called to her and said, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. <laughs> Therefore, come and be healed on one of those, but not on the Sabbath day. I want to call that guy something, but I'm going to refrain from it. The Lord then answered him and said, with an exclamation point, Hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath? Two things I see here. Number one, Jesus recognized that what was wrong with this woman is that Satan had bound her. That her infirmity was a spirit. And that he was confronting the work of Satan when he performed this healing miracle. Second thing, he said she is a daughter of Abraham. I think he was linking her to covenant. And in the covenant was healing. Exodus 15, think about it. He said, if you will obey me, I will not put any of the diseases upon you which I placed upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That's the covenantal promise. I am the Lord who heals you. So why am I, why am I saying all this? I believe sickness has its root in Satan's work in the earth realm. Sickness has its root in the fall of man and Satan's work in the earth realm. God never intended us to be sick. It's not natural to the body. God never intended us to die. To go to a funeral, that's why it's so weird. It's not natural. We weren't meant to die. We were meant to live forever, but sin caused death to enter into the earth realm and caused sickness to enter into the earth realm. 
Jesus came bringing the kingdom of God and coming against all of the work of the enemy. So when he came with the kingdom, he cast out demons, he healed the sick, he cleansed the leper, he raised the dead, he preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we don't want to preach this stuff because we're chicken, I guess, or we don't know enough. Because the church has relegated Christianity only to salvation for centuries now. That's only a piece, or it's not all in, we don't understand what's all included in that word salvation. That also healing comes with the package, deliverance comes with the package, dominion over sin comes with the package. Come on, somebody, shout hallelujah. So notice what he did in healing is he came to repair. What Satan had destroyed. Because Satan can't create anything. He just destroys what God has created. You know, I noticed this years ago that when Paul talked about the lusts of the flesh and then the fruits of the Spirit, that the lusts of the flesh were often just extremes or perversions of things God had created. God had created these good things and Satan came to pervert them or take it to an extreme because the flesh was unbridled and sin caused that to happen. But God has given us this earth to live in and wanted, to, wanted us to have a blessed life in the meantime. Can somebody shout amen? Note Mark chapter 3 verse 10. For He healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about Him to touch Him. Mark 5.29 Immediately the fountain of the woman with the issue of blood, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Luke 7.21 And at that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits and gave to many blind people he gave sight. Why, these three verses talk about sick, sicknesses as afflictions. And the Greek term here, mastix, really means scourging or whipping. So it's like we see the oppressive work of the enemy in these afflictions in Mark 3, Mark 5, Luke 7, that, that this isn't just in the greater blueprint of God and we're to accept His will in this. No, I think it is part of the fallenness of humanity that we are to enter into warfare over and believe God to repair. Oh, hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 53. We've quoted this. We know it by heart maybe, but I want to read verses 3, 4, and 5 for you and show you a, 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 another way of interpreting this in Hebrew, translating it. He is, des- he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As, as, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we not, did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now if we read this in this translation, he came to take our sorrow and grief. He came to take our sorrow and grief. But if you look into the the original Hebrew, those terms are more often translated in the Hebrew Bible as sicknesses and pains. So it could read like this. Surely He has carried our sicknesses and bore our pain. No wonder in Matthew chapter 8, when Matthew saw Jesus healing people, 
He said, this was so that it might be fulfilled by, by, by the prophetic word of Isaiah that by His stripes we are healed. When it was directly relating to sickness and disease. So, so what's my whole thesis here? My deal is we're in a war. We're in warfare. And God has given us the gift and the power to heal the sick. And we might as well get about doing warfare to see it happen. Instead of just laying back and, 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 and throwing it on this ash heap of, well, it's all in the blueprint of God, it's all in the sovereignty of God, and we might as well just let God have His way, you know. How about we get a fight mentality? How about we start fighting for what we believe? And how about we step into the arena of spiritual warfare and start fighting for the good report, start fighting for the faith, Start fighting for healing. Start fighting for deliverance. Start fighting for our family's salvation. Start fighting for the spiritual atmosphere to change in Elizabeth City. Start fighting. Get, get your fight on and get ready to do battle because you have been given the victory. Come on, somebody. Shout hallelujah. So I'm going to give you three ways to develop a warrior's mindset here in, in the spirit realm. Number one... And I'm going to sound like my wife Jackie in preaching this. I can like hear her voice in my head as I prepared this. Number one, do not accept the enemy's report. Amen. Don't accept the enemy's report. And, and, and if it comes through whatever way it comes to you, you can recognize it. I mean, we accept facts. If you go to the doctor and you get a factual report, it is what it is. You have to deal with it. But yet, and, and sometimes when someone pronounces over you a diagnosis of cancer or some kind of other disease, it's given to you by an authority. And so it has power in your life and it even has power in your spirit when you hear that. That's why you must come back and, and seek a higher authority and start speaking the words of that higher authority over your life. We don't deny reality, but we do acknowledge the Word of God. And I come and say, okay, I know what... And then the enemy starts piling it on. Fear, despair, anxiety, all of this starts to come because he's going to pile on this report and he's going to bring you, and everybody, all, the, all of Job's friends are going to come around you and wants to make sure you got all your death stuff straight and got the cemetery plots ready and all that. I mean, it's like, because you got to understand they're not seeing through the eyes of faith like you are. So you don't accept the enemy's report. You come at that thing and say, well, no, I'm not receiving this. I'm not receiving it in my life. I know what the facts are, but I'm going to receive what God says over me. Because what God says over me is more important than what anybody else says over my life. I'm going to take what God says over me. So I'm going to consult His Word and see what He has to say about the matter. Y'all hearing me? Are you hearing me? Give me, a, give me a sign of life. Hallelujah. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and He sees this man laying there on a cot, impotent, for 38 years. And Jesus walks up and asks one of the coolest questions. He says, would you like to be made whole? And I think the guy's like, duh. That's why I'm here. But then he says, but Lord, I don't have anyone to carry me down to the water. And, and when the water, there was a tradition that an angel would stir the water and the first one in got healed. Well, there's no way I can be the first one in because 
look at me. I can't make it. Everyone get, he had excuses. Excuses, excuses, excuses. This is what, this is what we do sometimes. Instead of taking what God has said, we've got every excuse to not take what God said. Well, it's genetics. It was in your mom's line, genetically. You've got it. So, is, I just want, let me challenge that intellectually here. Is God's word not higher than the passing of some defective genetic trait? Or, uh, you know, okay, flu's going around. Everybody's catching it. Well, okay. (laughs) Bless God. Is God's word not greater than that? I mean, I remember back in the, I don't remember, but I remember reading about the Spanish flu, that when the Spanish flu happened, the Pentecostals were the ones going into the homes of people and ministering to them. I don't know. Some of them probably died as well, but they were fearless because they accepted a higher authority. They were fearless to go in there and minister to people. You know, fear gripped the world over the last two years like a stranglehold. And I know that we've lost people and there were serious issues with COVID. I don't deny any of that, but I'm telling you, I hated the fear. I hated the fear that people were walking in, man. I hated the fear it tried to put on my life. Just trying to put fear on us. God has not given me the spirit of fear but it's given me a, a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm going to use my mind, but I'm not, not going to be afraid, bless God. I didn't plan on saying that. Amen myself, amen. Don't accept the enemy's report. Numbers chapter 14, Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. Search out the promised land, see if it's good. We're getting ready to take it. God's given us the goat green light. We're ready to go and overcome it. Those spies come back. Ten of them said, there's no way. You should see the giants over there. And in, 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 in their eyes, we're like little bitty grasshoppers. And then two guys came back, Joshua and Caleb, and they're like, let's go. Do you see the fruit? This, you, you should see what's over there, man. They were seeing it through a different set of lenses. And the people got all flipped out and mad and mad at everybody. And then God gets mad. And God was going to wipe them all out. And Moses is like, no, hold on, Lord. Don't do that. And then, then from that point on, Moses knew he was going to lead a people who would never enter into the promised land. And he did it anyhow. Don't be with the majority who comes back with a bad report. Be with the minority who's carrying that faith report. You know, I determined years ago, I have, a, I have a lot of friends and a lot of different categories of friends, but I've chosen to spend as much time as I can with my friends who are full of faith. I'm going to preach it to this church over here. I want to spend time with faith people, people that encourage my faith. Because I have enough to wrestle with anyhow just being Hans. <laughs> I want to have somebody that encourages me. Get it up, man. Believe God can do what He said He can do. He's called you. He's anointed you. He's ordained you. The world needs to hear your voice. Get out there and do what God's called you to do. Yay! 
Believe the report of the Lord. Don't accept the enemy's lies. Believe what God has said over you. Second thing to develop a, a, a warrior mentality. Use the weapons that God has given you. You have a powerful arsenal as a saint of God. I remember um, several years ago, I was pastoring in Chesapeake. There was a master chief in my uh, church in the Navy, and he had been assigned to a destroyer. And that destroyer was uh, coming back from a long deployment, and they were coming through the Suez Canal, and they got a call, turn around, go back to the Persian Gulf, you're going to fight Iraq. And it was in the first Iraq war. And he said, so they turned the boat around, and they were headed to the Persian Gulf. And he said he was sitting in the uh, control room with the captain of the ship. And he said, so I asked the captain, are you nervous? And I, and I love the response of this captain. He said, he looked over him and said, why should I be nervous? Do you realize what I'm sitting on? You know how many Tomahawk missiles are underneath me? You know what kind of anti-aircraft firepower I have? Why should I be nervous? Come on, this is... Make my day. Come on, somebody. It's like you need that kind of attitude as a saint of God. Aren't you scared of the devil? Why should he should be scared? Do you know what's in me? The Holy Ghost is in me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is right now flowing through my spirit man. Oh, hallelujah. The same word of God that prophesied his coming and his resurrection is laying right here on this table and in my heart. Come on, you have more power than you ever realized. Hallelujah. You have authority. You have the name of Jesus. You have the firepower you need to accomplish the task you have to do. Oh, put your hands together and shout hallelujah. Let, 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 me, let, me just give, let me give you just a few weapons. Number one, you have the weapon of the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted the word at each temptation of Satan. He quoted the word. And the word works. I'm telling you, the word works. The older I get, the more I read, the more academic stuff I, I have to read, I realize the Bible is right and the Bible works. And I'm beyond, I, I taught a class yesterday to ministry students in Falcon, North Carolina. We had 35 students there, and I got up, and I was to teach the book of Acts in six hours. So I got up, and I said, I'm just to this point in my life. I'm beyond fooling with the arguments as to did Luke really write it? Was it really the Word of God? Is this, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm just going to leave that behind. Let's just get right into it as the Word of God. Let's just get right into it and see what God has to say to us right here in 2022. You have the Word of God. Number two, you have the blood of Jesus. How many are washed in the blood in here? Hallelujah. There was power in His blood. When His blood spilled, the, the atonement enacted. There was so much. All, hey, Satan did everything he could do to get Jesus, to keep Jesus from the cross. There used to be a song, you know, Jesus was a dying and hell had a ball. I don't believe that. Because I believe Satan did everything he could to keep him from the cross. Because he knew Isaiah 53. So what did he do? He tried to thwart Jesus in the wilderness. He tried to thwart Jesus in John chapter 6 when they were desiring to make him king. He tried to thwart Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 at Caesarea Philippi. 
when he rebuked the demon that was speaking through Peter to get him to not go to Jerusalem and suffer. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was wrestling with the Father's will. And I believe Satan's speaking to him, don't do this. He said, Father, if it's, it, 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 I would let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. He ultimately laid it down and gave it all to, G, to God. And then he walked all the way to the cross, giving his life on the cross and sealing Satan's fate and crushing the archon of this age, crushing the ruling authority of this earth realm. Oh, you have the name of Jesus. You know how powerful the name of Jesus is? If you're in the family, you have the right to use the family name. And if you're in the family, you can use the name of Jesus. And every devil in hell has to tremble at the name of Jesus. I'm talking every devil has to tremble at the name of Jesus. I remember years ago I was in college and uh, the Lord was calling me to preach and I, I was studying one night. I had a roommate, a friend of mine, but I was in my bedroom. I fell asleep face forward on the bed studying and I woke up at some point and I woke up and there was something on me, like pressing down on me. And I realized I was totally paralyzed. I couldn't move a muscle, couldn't move a finger. I couldn't, and then I tried to speak and I couldn't speak. I could only move my eyes, and I thought, is this my roommate that's jumped on me? And I, I realized, no, he's not in the room. It's a demonic presence. There's fear shot in my heart. And, and I, I tried to speak, and I couldn't, but I, this is the honest truth. I thought the name of Jesus. I thought the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden, the pressure led up and I could speak, and I spoke the name of Jesus, and then the presence left my room. Every time I've told that story, someone comes up and tells me they've had an exact same episode. Three people in the early service. Why? Because Satan tries to thwart you and intimidate you and bring that spirit of death on you to keep you from the calling. But I'm telling you, the name of Jesus has so much power that if you can think it and he has to flee... Oh, hallelujah. And then, just like, these are like missiles. The name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Word of God. But you also have some rocket launchers you're carrying around that'll propel those things into battle. And let me just give you two. Number one is prayer. Prayer becomes a rocket launcher that you can pray in the name of Jesus you can plead the blood of Jesus and then you can pray, I think most effectively, when you pray the Word. Put yourself in those Scriptures. Put yourself right there in it. Hallelujah. God has not given Hans the spirit of fear. But God has given Hans a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. God will prosper Hans, in all of my ways. Hallelujah. Go ahead and put your name in it. Set yourself in the context and begin praying that. And then there's, there's another rocket launcher you have, and that's the power of praise and worship. 
that when you praise and worship, go ahead and praise the name of Jesus. Go ahead and talk about and sing about the blood of Jesus. And go ahead and sing some scripture songs back to the Lord and see how powerful that gets. I mean, we grew up singing every kind of hokey song in church and some of it meant nothing. But I'm telling you, I want songs that take me straight to the throne room where I can sing directly to Him and adore Him. Like Axel said, worship is not so we sing your favorite song. Worship is just a vehicle to get me over into the most holy place where I can get a download from Him and I can pour out my love and adoration on the Lord. I don't know if you guys have been listening to me for the past three weeks, but I've taught in three weeks through the book of the Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. And I know it's a, it's, it's a love poem. It's ancient love poetry between a young man and young woman. And it's beautiful in in that right. That's the first level of interpretation. It's absolutely gorgeous. But we can have a secondary interpretation of it, which is it's spiritual. And we talk about our relationship with God being like that, that we long for Him. Love has a goal, and the goal of love is possession. That you want that thing that you love and you're longing for. We want to be forever with the Lord. We're not satisfied here. We're blessed here, but we're not quite satisfied. And we're not going to be until we see Him face to face and we're in His presence from ev- forevermore. Come on, can somebody shout hallelujah? So it's like this love poem. We're pursuing Him. He's pursuing us. I stopped by the worship night last night and Alex started singing this song. And I don't think I'd ever heard it. And she was singing, My beloved is fairer than 10,000 or fairer than 1,000. My beloved is fairer than a thousand. I knew it was lifted right out of Song of Solomon. And it kind of wrecked me last night when I heard that. I thought, yes. Yes, my beloved. The Lord is fairer than 10,000. Hallelujah. That's no wonder we took those verses that were used in love poetry and we'd sing about them. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. Hallelujah. It's it's He who we are longing for. So when you go into prayer and you go into worship, you may not realize it, but you enter into warfare. You're, you're, You're doing battle for the faith. You're doing battle for your family. You're doing battle for your community. You're believing God to move and God to shake the the nations and God to shake the area. And you're believing God to do what only God can do. Come on, can somebody shout hallelujah? Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord a praise. Don't accept the enemy's report and use the weapons that are in your arsenal. And the final thing is this. Accept Nothing but complete and total victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't know if you guys, if you guys ever competed in sports or you guys ever got in fights when you were younger. Of course, y'all didn't do that. But if you ever walk into something with a defeated mentality, you're not worth a plug nickel. But if you walk into it and you realize I'm not going to be defeated in this thing. I will, in no way. Nobody's taking me out of this. I'm going to win this. I got, we, used to, we used to race motorcycles and my, my brother would say, get your race face on. Get that seriousness. I'm going to get in this race and I'm not taking. Come on, some of you basketball players, if you went out there, I remember one time I, played, uh, I was playing junior high basketball. That's middle school for all of you who are born in this century. But anyhow, uh, I was playing junior high basketball, and our team was mediocre, 
and we, the best team in our conference came to our little gym in the mountains, and uh, I remember they had a guy 6'6". Six, six. Listen, we're in the eighth grade. This guy was 6'6 six, six at center, and what they did is we all came out and did our warm-ups, and then they came to the half court and stood there like this. Just to intimidate us. And we're like, well, we've never beat them or, or haven't in like 50 years. So, But you know what? We took it to those boys that night. We took it to them. And then once we realized we could take it to them, we started getting confident. And then it came down to the end of the game, and we were down by like a point, I think it was. And we got possession of the ball. Coach called a timeout. And he devised the play where we just out it around the half court line, set a screen, and let our best shooter shoot. He shot. It went through the net. We beat those boys that night. First time in about 50 years. And you know what it did for us? We realized, sorry with all that, but I'm still reliving that moment. Hallelujah. We beat those guys. Come on. you got to have a mentality that you're not going to quit. You're not going to give up. You're not going to be a Christian this month and a heathen next month. <laughs> you got to get that over with and put that in your past. you got to get this stuff that you're struggling with out and realize I'm never going back to that lifestyle. I'm never going back to that bondage. I'm part of another kingdom now. I'm never going back to that junk. I've got a war to fight. I've got a victory to win. I've got some people who need my help. i got a family that needs me on the front lines. Hallelujah i got a church that needs me to pray for them, needs me to live a holy life, needs me to get into the Scripture. I don't have time to slack. I don't have time to be lazy. I'm going to get on fire for Jesus in 2022 like I've never been on fire before, and I'm going to win this battle. I'm already a winner. I've already won the victory when I stepped into the ring because my elder brother has already come and won the national title. Hallelujah. And now he's recruited me on the team, and I realize that he's gone before for me. He's risen from the dead. He's exalted to heaven. He sent the gifts back down and now he said everywhere you go I will go with you. Go in my name. Cast out devils. Raise the dead. Heal the sick. Preach the kingdom of heaven is here. Come on. Somebody give him a shout. Hallelujah. Come on. Say it with me. I will not be defeated. You know, the book of Daniel, stay with me just a moment. The book of Daniel has something that's really interesting. He said, the, we, we believe this is spoken of the Antichrist in chapter 7. And he said, the Antichrist will speak pompous words against the Most High and shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Another way of translating that persecute is he shall wear out the saints. Satan wants to wear us out. Come and wear you down. Get you down to where you will just, it's nothing but depression and gas is at $10 a gallon. We'll have to get back to riding my bicycle. And we, we just see all the negative. I mean, I'm not denying that, but man, let's get in the fight. Let's get in the fight. Come on, some of you are fighting disease and sickness. 
or maybe you're fighting depression and anxiety, get some fight in you. Realize you're not going to be denied. God's going to heal you. It's His will to heal you. Get that argument behind you. It is His will that you be set free. It's His will that you be healed. It's His will that that cancer dies in you. It's His will that those generational curses are broken off of your life. Get that behind you and say, God, I've come today and I've come to take possession of everything that you've made away for me in the kingdom. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. One more verse and we're going to pray. Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Say it with me. Colossians 2, verse 15. What happens in Colossians 2 is he's talking about Jesus ascending after his resurrection. And here's what he says happened. He says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Meaning when Jesus ascended on high, he stripped Satan and the archon of this age of His authority and His power. And now all of the demons under Him have been defeated with that seal of defeat marked on them. And now you and I join in the victory and the authority and the power that Jesus has earned. So let me, let me just say, it's, it's one, one theologian described it like this. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was like D-Day. D-Day in World War II, what was D-Day? It was the largest amphibious landing in the history of mankind. The Allied forces went to the Normandy, France with hundreds of ships and we landed with Marines and personnel there. And, and, and when we landed, it was like, it's over. There was some fighting left, but it was like it, D-Day was significant. It was doomsday for the enemy. It was all but over. But yet... It took a little while to get to Berlin. It took a little while for Japan to surrender. But after they both did, then we declared V-Day, which was Victory Day. And the theologian said it like this, and I thought it was interesting. Jesus dying and resurrecting was like D-Day for the devil. He was defeated. But now we're awaiting His return which is the ultimate victory day when Satan will be completely eliminated, but in between the times we're still fighting some warfare, we're still fighting some battles on our way to the end, hallelujah, but we know the momentum's already behind us because he's already won the battle and we're just fighting these cleanup skirmishes until Jesus comes back. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, stand on your feet and give the Lord a praise in here this morning. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, give Him a praise. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Give Him a praise. Give Him a praise. Lord, we bless Your name. We bless Your name. We bless Your name, Lord. We bless Your name. We bless Your name, Lord. We bless Your name. Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart 
and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin and I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone and I thank you that my life has changed in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. And I hope to see you again.